0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Comics, where we are back with more of our epic X-Men reread, which we're doing together, Tyler, Freya, and I. Tyler, an X-Men expert from way back. Freya is new to this material, although we all came together reading Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of X. This episode, we are talking about only one Uncanny X-Men issue, which is Mm -hmm. Uncanny X-Men 106. But because this was a fill-in issue, we thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to see what else was Claremont doing around the same time in the Marvel Universe, which also was setting up future X-Men stories. So we're also going to talk about Iron Fist 14, and we're going to talk about Ms. Marvel 9 and 10, and you will hear why when we get there. So spoiler alert, we're going to thoroughly spoil all of these issues. We're going to talk about these characters' histories. We're going to talk about what's in store for them, we may talk about concepts as recent as 29's House of X and Powers of X. Although in these issues, actually, there is one specific thing that is going to cause us to talk about House of X and Powers of X. So we'll try to mention when we get there, but be warned, spoilers galore. So that said- Tyler and Freya, what did you think about this uh, kind of lame duck story in Uncanny X-Men 106 where we mm-hmm. leave off on this hot cliffhanger where we just left off the issue before the X-Men have just gone through the portal to God knows where to follow LaLandra, and Professor Xavier is swooning and he's like, oh, this reminds reminds me of a time that I harassed the X-Men in a terrible terrible case of, of workplace harassment that I continue to perpetuate in my gifted school for youngsters.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, you just kind of clarify like you know put that all together it was like I don't know it was like a lot of things and I feel like this is also like you know how fans react to any X-Men changes like this kind of encapsulated that as well like it's like oh you guys gonna be the new X-Men well guess what the old one were better and stuff they were not and you know it just like I don't know it just same old same old I was but not But didn't we just
2: do that? We just yeah, did it! wonder, exactly. It's like the yeah.
0: same beat
1: Exactly. exactly, and that's that's one of the reason I was like, "Oh wait, oh. how is this any different than that one?" Oh, hold yeah. on, like you know, they are just like have the old and and the thing is, is even in this one, Wolverine is the one who figures out that they're not real. <laughs> Like it's the same, it's the same. like same si- Well, and it's co-written by Bill
0: Matlow, and it's almost yeah. like Claremont was like, "Hey, could you just like do some things that feel X meny And Mantlow's like flipping through issue
2: one hundred, he's like, "Sure." <laughs> like
1: it just, I mean, I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, was... there are fill-in issues, and they are really fill-in issues. <laughs> this one is so so fill-in that. Classic X-Men did not reprint it. Yeah, it's (laughs) not even reprinted (laughs) in class.
0: And there's only maybe two other issues I can think of during Claremont's run that are not annuals that... Are as like totally extraneous as this issue i think maybe one of them might be 228 if i'm not mistaken i could, I could be off by one or two but there's okay. only a few that just feel like totally out of left field the way that this mm-hmm. one does especially because this story is actually inserted after uncanny x-men 96 it's basically just like in that interminable period of training that they have yeah between um the the thing with the gary demon in 96 and then 97 And they're just like training in every, every single time I read this issue, I think, oh, maybe it's Mimic every time and I, and I get all excited that Claremont's gonna write a mimic story and then at the end of the issue it's just no it's just Professor X's mean alter ego aka Professor X, X. which is <laughs> which is which is funny to me because it goes to show that not every Claremont subplot was a slam dunk like he does come back to this once or twice mm. but like this just never really materializes almost I mean I, I don't know if it does this connect get connected to onslaught later Tyler this idea mm. of Professor X having like a bad psychic echo
2: yeah i'm not sure because like 90s x-men events seldom well i would i would not say never but like they seldom (laughs) tie in like all the way back to this era like you know i mean the latter eras of of claremont yes they do but like this early part i don't think they do well, I so. think it's,
0: I, it does, when I looked it up online, it does say, see also Onslaught. So oh. I guess we'll get there. I actually don't know Onslaught that well because it's what may, caused me to call, to quit comic books. If your enthusiastic hey, reception of sick. this show continues to get us to read comics all the way to X-Men 330, you will have your work come out to for you. Then you can make Tyler and I read Onslaught. And yeah. I don't, who knows what will happen. Maybe Frio will love it. Uh, <laughs> but in any event, so we're not here to tell you if, if the entity, uh, which mm-hmm. is Charles Xavier's bad uh, alter ego yeah. is is the same as onslaught or not? You'll just have to stay tuned in to find out. So and there you know, are. As, as oh. you
1: were talking, I was actually flipping through the issues twice already, and honestly, I don't have anything to say.
0: I'm I have. i have... to even bring. Three mere moments to mm-hmm. highlight here. So the first is when Professor X is swooning in Misty Knight's arms. And what is it like to swoon in Misty Knight's arms? Apparently the same as swooning in oh, yeah. the Tiger's arms, although they're both wearing pink. I guess all women you know, are just his nursemaids yeah. to him, whether they're a badass New York cop or a super scientist on her 10th life. Spoilers. Uh, and so, and the thing that makes me laugh right after that, because again, I think Hickman really did his homework with House of X, Powers of X. Morris says, even after all these years, part of me loves you still. And I'm like, let's really, that's, we're talking about a lot of years at this point. Powers of X. Even 900 years later, I'm still at this asshole's (laughs) bedside. (laughs)
1: Um, and that's what I was saying though. I'm like, you know, because all, all those years can be, Interpreted it in so many different ways. Yeah. Now that we know Hawksbox, it took like a complete different meaning versus Definitely. when it was like first before. But then once again, I think we talked about it at some point, either on this channel or somewhere else. Why are all these women falling for these boring men? Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, what if there's this, if there's like, one, if you had X-Men, to say, if you had to say what one man on the X Men cast and I'll open the forum to everyone here, is worth swooning over at this point. Is there one? Is there a man no. that's worth it? Well, Tyler
1: will probably say Colossus. I know that. Yeah, I was, I, was was about,
2: I was about to say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colossus is probably the nicest one, you know, yeah, but I think... I mean, well, so when you say I, at this point, you just mean this cast, right? We're not. Yeah, this cast
0: Q- as we know them so far, because yeah. some of them will turn into better characters. Yeah, definitely. I think right. Nightcrawler is swoon-worthy already. Do you Mm. not love? No, I. I mean, he's so charming.
1: He is charming, but he also has like so much like you know baggage with him about his his Mm. looks and stuff. And I don't want to carry those. Um, But you know, I think like Colossus probably comes close. So you know, I just like the. But everyone else, I'm like ugh.
0: <laughs> Ladies, please. I guess I feel like Colossus. Claremont writes Colossus like so naive, and you can feel how young he's being written here, where mm-hmm. he's like always, he acts rashly, not in like a Wolverine way, but rashly just in the way of somebody who hasn't had that much life experience. And Nightcrawler to me just like strikes this middle ground here, where it's clearly that he's lived some stuff, but he has a level of optimism. That, like, Cyclops and Wolverine don't have. And to me, that's really compelling. Like, if I had to pick one of them at this point in the run that I would hang out with and I have to pick from the boys and can't hang out with Storm, I would probably want to hang out with Nightcrawler. Hmm. But that's just me. You, So you would hang out with Colossus, both of you. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, you say hang. <laughs> we mean something different. Okay. Tyler and I mean something different. You know, you, know, you, you are talking differently than we are talking. Yeah. <laughs> so we would pick Colossus in that. in that in that sense, separately, not together.
0: Well, that was was my first point of discussion. So my second one is um, we once again, Claremont and Hemanthelow here, very consistent. Who's the one X-Men who can tell Wolverine to F off? it is Storm, because yeah. as he's getting into yet another fight with Cyclops here, Storm has this wonderful panel. And she's drawn in a very Cochram way, although I don't think it's Cochram drawing at this point in an the issue. And she said great line, and perhaps you should be silent, Wolverine. Some of us are weary of hearing your gravelly little voice hour after endless hour. Yeah. So, and
1: to that point, how many times Storms had to say this to Wolverine? Like, does he really, like, you know, because we know that Wolverine has memory issues, this seem, the memory. just seems to be like really concerning because he keeps on forgetting it, and Storm has to keep on reminding him. So I don't know. Maybe because of the timing of it, maybe this was one of the first times, and then since then he backed off. But
2: uh, yeah, this is probably the first, maybe the second time. Well, in first terms chronologically, of the time because I think the first yeah. one was after. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh no, no, actually, it was during the Garie. It was during fun- the uh,
2: right. Yeah. So this is the yeah. second time, maybe. Yeah, But well, the other was okay, like... It's not that bad. Wolverine's is- claws, like, you know, magically grow, like, super long in one panel. <laughs> oh <laughs> Where he slice off, like, Iceman's... <laughs> Iceman's slides, Like, the claws is, like, the length of his forearms. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But then also,
0: the resolution of this is that Professor <laughs> X just, like, <laughs> conjured this stuff from his mind. But it's awfully physical. Like, I, I never yeah. can decide if it's meant to be like a combination of the danger room and these mental images, or if it was all supposed to be in their heads? I don't know, how did the two of you read it?
1: Um, I read it mostly like it's all in their collective head. Like, you know, and then I was actually, so here's the thing that this issue would have been completely different if it's like turned out that they were actually fighting each other. Like then this mm. like this would have been so much better that like Wolverine was actually like slicing and dicing everyone else and you know like uh, like Colossus was like you know attacking other people that would have been so much nicer but I,
2: I almost spoiled it for you
1: <laughs> oh you did oh, yeah. so I didn't say anything
2: play. I was like mm. zip yeah. no not okay. saying anything.
1: So it's not that, or it is that. Ooh, now I'm concerned. But the thing is, also at the same time, it actually shows how powerful Professor X is. Something something that we also almost forget, because comic yeah. book writers seem to be hell-bent on making sure Professor X is either uh, not available or depowered or not powered, so that...
0: Or he, like, all of a sudden gets ethical yeah. concerns. In the yeah. middle of the fight, oh, he's not? like, oh, I could put them to sleep, but that's a consent issue. I'm like, really, <laughs> really? bro? Compared really? to all of your, your constant intercomming people's, directly into people's brains. This is but isn't different... that
2: isn't that yes. the problem with, like, Silver Age X-Men, where he'll he be like, X-Men, go do this, and then X-Men will lose, and then in the last panel, he, last page or something, he will just appear, and it's like, oh, with my powerful mental power, I did this, and they are gone. And it's like, okay, so in the first place, why send the X-Men there?
1: Because they needed some exercise, you know. Um, but but the thing is, I know, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, I was uh, more interested in seeing that how his power can manifest. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's very, it's very strong and it's
0: very
2: powerful. Well, of course, right? I mean, the, um, the fact that, well, I mean, the fact that, of course, a lot happened.
0: So I think the only other thing here is like, I think it does, it does just continue the arc of Wolverine being super ornery, especially because we're really coming up on Burn coming in and like mm. Wolverine actually having more dimension. I know it just feels like we're getting hit on the head with the same thing over and over yeah. again, but at least it's an arc. Because like some of these characters really don't have much of an arc and at least they've decided that he's going to be the guy that arg- argues with everything. But again, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot else to say and we wrap nope. this up. With Professor X still facing off Fire Lord, still on the roof. No no time has gone by, and we still don't know what happens to the X-Men. We won't know until next issue and next episode for us. But here's where things get interesting. So there are two other issues right now that Claremont is writing. He's writing Iron Fist, and he's writing Miss Marvel. Claremont has actually been writing the entire Iron Fist series. People, I think, Mm -hmm. forget this, or they just never know it to begin with but Claremont took over with the last couple of issues of Iron Fist when he was in Marvel Premiere and he then he writes the entire original 1975 Iron Fist series collected in two Marvel Masterworks is connected in its entirety along with all the other material in this epic collection and even something else that I don't think people usually remember is that Byrne joined Claremont on Marvel Premiere 25 which was the last one before Iron Fist got his solo series so Byrne and Claremont have put out now 14 comics at this point together. This is their 15th issue together, which means that Byrne has been working with Claremont for more issues than Cockrum has been working with Claremont at this point. So Iron Fist to me is interesting not only because it introduces Sabretooth, not only because Iron Fist is about to tie in just a little bit with X-Men, but because this is what we're about to get for this upcoming super classic Claremont-Byrne period of X-Men. And uh, let me tell you, man, this is a gorgeous issue. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is pretty. It is. I mean, Cockrum's art is great, but this is burn art. Whew. Freya, thoughts on Iron Fist number fourteen?
1: So this is my first time seeing Barnes art.
0: Yes, maybe you know. I don't know. Do you? Did you is, read any is. other John? It is no,
1: no. It is. I mean, I, that was a statement, not a okay. question.
0: Oh,
2: okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so how would you know which one of my first? Friends?
2: I don't know. If I,
1: if I don't tell you. Yeah, you're but...
2: like, is this the first time? No, it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god okay so the thing is like it is the first time and um I, to me like I like I keep mentioning I don't necessarily distinct like no different art unless it's super different and mm-hmm. I didn't see that it was very different than uh Cockrum at this point um however I will reserve my uh, comment on Barnes' art for later issue of X-Men because I have some thoughts about that um but the thing is like um it's also kind of interesting to see iron fist because you know i have read uh brubaker Matt Mm -hmm. function's iron Mm -hmm. fist run and then also like the follow-up um by kara andrews i believe which did one um so he, he is a like an interesting character to me um although there's questions about using asian culture by a white man and all of that. I mean, you know, all that aside. Um he's still an interesting character. And you know, I never knew that he had this connection with Sabretooth.
0: Yeah, this is the first canonical appearance of Sabretooth. Other things, of course, many, many things have been inserted before mm-hmm. it, but this was his yeah.
2: first appearance in a comic book. Tyler? Um I mean this is the first time I read this issue. Really? And oh my really? gosh. Yeah. surprise. Well I mean I don't have any I don't have any ways to read it unless it's M U.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: you know the the last few times that when I when I reread the Uncanny X Men, I just went through the omnibus, so I did not go the digital route. So it didn't occur to me until um, when we were discussing about doing um, this podcast um, video thing that um, Iron Fist, um, this run of Iron Fist was drawn and written, I mean written by Claremont and drawn by Byrne. Yeah, so I mean I forgot. Yeah, that was a surprise to me. And um actually what, what was what is more surprising to me here is the inkle, which is Dan Green. Yeah, usually Dan, it's Terry Austin on John Byrne. Yes. And Dan Green on Mark Silvestri is very different from Dan Green on John Byrne. Mm. So that that kind of like it, it really struck me. I was like, wait, it's not Terry Austin's ink on this, but Dan Green? And like Dan Green's Think in my opinion, when when he's paired up with Sylvester, is is usually not that smooth, and usually not that um fluid. Whereas the art here um you know appears pretty fluid in terms of like the finished art. So so I was pretty surprised, but um yeah, but I I enjoyed this and um this is um is is a little bit early Bronze Age for me, um in terms of some of the over. Over explanation of iron fist like uh martial arts movement, and mm. then um. But other than that, I thought it was pretty cool.
0: I think I love this a lot more than the two of you, based on your opening comments. My note is um I think this is so much better than Uncanny X-Men right now. I don't think there's been I, I don't think there's any issue of X-Men that's been as good as this so far. And mm-hmm. I think part of it is me responding to how little time Claremont has with each character in X-Men compared to that he just gets to write Iron Fist. We get so much thought from Iron Fist, we get so many narration moments from Iron Fist that just he feels so much more fully realized in this issue mm-hmm. to me than any. Anybody does in the X Men issues, and I guess like I'm just somebody who really responds to character stuff. And then Burns Bar- art is just so clean. He has that certain way he draws people with really high cheekbones, like really mm-hmm. big balls on the t- top parts of their cheeks, and he draws their. F- he has a certain way he proportions bodies that is just like really familiar once you read a lot of yeah. Burn. Cockrum makes people a little bit thinner, a little bit more um, lean-lined. Burns bodies feel a little bit more muscular and like a little bit more. Um, made to feel like superheroes. They're a little bit more idealized. And especially for Iron Fist, he just has this beautiful liquid quality to him as he's kicking people, as he's swiveling around and, and, you know, fighting back with his arm. It just has this this really lovely liquidity. And, you know, we could say a lot about Burn in the modern day, but it you can't really take away his how masterful he is at this point. At least I don't think so, but we can all have different opinions on that. But there's a couple of interesting um, Claremont moments here. First of all, Sabretooth uh, is is right right from his third panel, violence Love. against women. Let's get it in nice yeah. and early and establish that Sabretooth is always this is his theme. Yeah. So
1: so the thing is to that point though, I wasn't necessarily looking at it in terms of like he's he's an awful character we know yeah,
0: he's that. just bad. And he's a freebooter. He's-
1: yeah, he's, he's awful. So the thing is, like, you know, so I didn't quite necessarily look at it as, like, a oh, violence against women. It's just mostly just violent nature. But the yeah. thing is, the whole time, I was very worried for Colin. Like, you know, I was very worried. I'm like, oh, where is this going? Oh, I don't like mm. this, you know? But then the thing is, like, I also had a little bit of trust on Paramount, and thankfully, it didn't quite go to that direction, you know? But the thing is, like, it was, um, yeah, you know? And I, I think, like, too, uh is
0: Colin supposed to be Asian? She is. Mm.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. She's not drawn Asian, yeah. Yeah, she's not. <laughs> yeah, she's not. A <laughs> lot, <laughs> no, lot of judgment coming from Brian <laughs> Yeah, yeah okay.
0: I mean, you know,
1: like two Asian <laughs> of the panel. Like, but
2: to, to be fair, I don't think a lot of um, artists uh, in American comics draw Asians that looks like Asians. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, they yeah. just have Asians' name and they just have some Asian traits. (laughs) Or they rely on
0: the coloring, especially at that point, to make them look what their concept of Asian was, which was awful. Uh, And they really didn't do anything with their features to make them look Asian, which honestly is how a lot of people draw Storm. Storm definitely doesn't necessarily just look um, Caucasian, but it's not like they're drawing her as a black woman. They're just drawing her with exotic features and then coloring her a dark color.
2: Except
0: for the Ottoman. Yeah, well, I'm talking about at the,
2: you know... At that time. time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, um... and... The other thing also is that I think I think, Bob predates Wolverine. <laughs> so so I think at this point in time, Wolverine has not used Bob a lot. No, he has. And, uh, he, but not a lot. Not, not a lot. Constantly. But Sabretooth yeah. like Bob's right. Sa- through yeah. this. Claremont's hitting us over
0: the head with this, like they're similar. Yeah. Yeah. They're similar.
1: Oh, is that why like, Sabretooth is always after Wolverine? Because he stole Bob?
2: <laughs> no <laughs> there, 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 is, there there is a story there, but it's not the Bub story. It's, it's something else. But um I don't want to spoil it for you. I mean you sort okay. of read a little bit of it in the classic X Men backup story early on, but mm. um you will come to the forefront later on.
1: Yeah, well Sabretooth is a character that should go away, I would I would say. And you know, like we don't wanna spoil it. And mm. but the thing is like it's just like that character should just go away like yeah you almost away. want to just fall
0: into a deep dark hole uh yeah. but I will say that this is a this is a real I think it's a good fight like, I, it you know, is. I I really feel peril for Iron Fist. Like, he, it seems like Sabretooth is going to overwhelm him. And even as hokey as it may be, you know, we have to remember the era here. He kind of is like, no, I have to use my special um, martial arts powers to be able to fight because I'm blinded. And then he's able to take out Sabretooth, who who really comes across as like a real compelling threat. He actually seems a lot more threatening to me here than Wolverine usually comes off so far in X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he seems it's because really of the height... The height difference. He's height he's difference. big and he's got this big mane and he's got his big fur on his arms. He's just an imposing figure here.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm pretty sure he killed a lion to get that. <laughs> it looks like it. But but the thing is like oh, also we have to talk about the mind meld that happened between Colin and Danny. And oh, let's talk maybe.
0: about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and then because of that they can share power. They can share like, you know, memories Some and memories. stuff like yeah. They get I was like I don't know that seems like a very like
2: intrusive
1: yeah very no not just intrusive but Intimate. a lot yeah, it's intimate. It's a lot. And then at that time, he's also like dating Misty Knight. So, but then he has this other... Plateau. I'm like, yeah. And to be honest, I did appreciate it. I'm like, go platonic friendship. I mean, I don't know where it goes from there, whether they two of them becomes an item. But I was like, hey, that's kind of neat. Like two of them just doing things together and, you know, melding minds and Misty's okay with it. I was like... Well, oh. and Claremont
0: loves his ultimate intimacy, right? This is another one of those Claremont tropes that you'll see. Like he loves oh, to all. be like... And then they shared the ultimate uh, intimacy. He, yeah. yeah, he loves that oh, a lot.
1: That was yeah. so creepy. Like, no,
0: know,
2: no, no, not no, just, no. Not
1: just the way you... like. Not not because the way you said it, but because, you know, the trope itself.
2: Yeah. No, well, no, no, no. Well, it depends on who we use it on. So um, I I think in some cases it's not that bad. Oh, uh,
1: okay, okay. Yeah. Just point, point out to me when we get there. Yeah,
2: we will get there. We'll get <laughs> okay. there. And then, I mean, the other thing um, I sort of... Um, want to point out is like the um there is this page where um uh Byrne designed the flashback and the current the flashback and the current that oh. small sliver oh, and yeah. I thought it was those quite brilliant. Like when he was trying to remember his teachings of okay I'm blindfolded i I gotta rely on my my senses and then oh. he, it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Burn does a lot of really interesting paneling in general.
0: Here, he does a lot of really cool um, vertical sliced panels that shows the motion almost in like a flipbook style. The one I really like is Iron Fist is heating up the Iron Fist, and then it's closer, but then we're like tight <laughs> on his face, but you can almost yeah. still feel that he's like getting getting closer to you because, and that's why we're so tight on his face. And then we cut wide to kind of see what happened. And I just I think it's really clever. And and Burn really uses paneling to control the pace here. Mm. Uh, I do want to point out one other thing. Great, Clare line early on the issue women aren't objects or goddesses we're people with minds feelings and spirits all our own which claremont could sometimes use a reminder of that as the x-men run continues but it's a nice
2: line that he came up with we're not objects or goddesses
0: he'll also at this point
2: claremont is firmly the writer right In this run. Yeah, he's been, he
0: wrote the entire run. Claremont writes every issue of Iron Fist 1 through 15. I've never read the whole thing. I've only ever read this issue in issue 15. So I kind of, I mean, I
2: have it all right here in my hand. I believe so. So I believe he wrote everything.
0: He did. He didn't write all of Iron Fist. Iron Fist, at an earlier point, is written by a few different kind of Marvel 70s people. He's written by Doug Munch. He's written by, Mm. he's originally created by, uh, planned and plotted and polished by Roy Thomas. So, he he's goes through the whole 70s bullpen before Claremont mm-hmm. takes him over. Got
1: it. To be honest, the good Iron Fist is that Abe like Brubaker and Matt Fraction run.
0: It's well, really you don't bad. know that. You haven't read this whole thing yet. It might yeah. be oh, wonderful. Okay, fine. fine.
2: But the, oh, Brubra-
0: the a- Brubaker Iron Fist is actually amazing. The, totally,
2: other thing, totally amazing. <laughs> the other thing that surprised me, because I've never read this part of Marvel Universe before, was like, oh, Jerry, Jerry Holgard is a guy? <laughs> right because if you watch the marvel show if you watch the netflix shows
0: <laughs>
1: yeah it's a woman
2: yeah. Was yeah. Like, yeah. what
1: yeah that was a that was a whole thing you know when the when the show started and stuff like uh-huh. that. i know a lot about this side of marvel so ask me questions well to be honest post two thousand.
0: post 2000 yeah post 2000 <laughs> So Iron Fist 15, the next issue, actually has the X-Men in it. And we'll talk about it ever so briefly in our next episode because it follows directly from our next two X-Men issues. Mm-hmm. But we have one more story to, to talk about here. And if you choose not to, that would be fine because I think it's on the lesser side of the Claremontian spectrum. But that's Miss Marvel, which is Carol Danvers, who we know today is Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. issues 9 and 10. So Claremont took over writing this issue since issue 3 or this comic since issue 3 and this is another character that many people forget Claremont pretty much single handedly created all of the background and tropes for after he was handed the character created by somebody else so he shapes a lot of the early framework for who Miss Marvel is who Carol Danvers is Mm -hmm. and he's with Keith Pollard on art in number 9 and Sal Buscema on art in number 10 and the reason we're talking about them is because he introduces Deathbird here and even though Deathbird never comes right out and says I'm Shi'ar my sister's Lalandra keeps <gasps> laughing Keep, uh, <laughs> uh. Even though she never comes out and says it, Claremont's clearly got some plans. Deathbird keeps going on about how she's first born of the airy. She mm-hmm. says she's cursed with a murderous fury. I mean, there's a lot of not only Claremontian themes, but I, I think just as he knew Sabretooth clearly had to do with Wolverine, I think yeah. he knows here that Deathbird clearly has to do with the Shi'ar stuff he's doing in X-Men. Of course, nobody at the time would be any the wiser, but like, there's this whole Claremont shared universe going on between these three books right under our noses in the late yeah. 1970s, and people forget that these other other books were where these characters came from. Mystique also debuts in Miss Marvel. Yeah. Oh,
2: serious. There is a I there is know. a throwaway. There's a throwaway line. I think um, later, um, not not in any of the X Men issues we have read so far, but I think there's a throwaway line where Lilandra men- briefly mentioned that she has a sister or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we get to those issues, we can talk about that. But um, he definitely planted those seeds everywhere in books that he wrote. That's for sure. Uh,
1: I also wanted to mention that Miss Marvel was created by Jerry Conway, the same creator of Punisher.
2: Yes, Jerry Conway. Yeah. I I think
0: along with his wife. I want to say I know he like specially thanks her at the beginning. Maybe I'm making that up, but um, I'm and I'm misstating my Miss Marvel history.
1: Um, no, but the thing is that he wrote a very kind of nice um. Nice thing about how Kelly Sue DeConnick kind of came up to him and then asked for his autograph on one of the Miss Marvel when he couldn't believe that she's like, you know, because she has done so much for that character since then. And then, you know, he was talking about that how it was very strange to write that as a man you know something like a like he was he was pretty much given an assignment or oh, write something
0: feminist
1: and you know that was pretty much <laughs> yeah it
0: lit- literally for his not exaggerating in the slightest and in the first page of the first issue it, next to his name, there is an asterisk, and it says "with more than a little aid and abetment from Carla Conway." So even at that time, Jerry Conway, by the way, still an amazing writer to this day. One of the if he puts out a comic book, it will be good. You can pick it up; it'll be it's great. Uh, and I love that, like even in the '70s, he was great enough to have the wherewithal to be like, "I should not be writing this comic book by myself." And and actually, to credit his wife instead of just saying like in an interview somewhere, like "Oh, by the way, my wife chipped in." Like he, she's on the credits page. I think that's pretty cool. But he's long since gone and now we're deep in the claremont run and like this comic it, it's not iron fist i can tell you that like it's <laughs> it's carol's on a date but she's interrupted but she's already drunk but there's a burglar in her house which she senses with her seven cents which is not a power we get told about a whole lot with modern carol um and she's like i could call the police or while i'm drunk on this date let's just leave him behind and go and beat up a burglar like it's just like there's so many things happening
1: it's a whole thing and also like when she's miss marvel she talks in third person something that i didn't know i did i totally
0: forgot that there's a whole like thor when there was thor and donald blake and like they were actually separate like that's how miss marvel is being played at this point
1: right and it was also like very like i don't know i was i was bored through it throughout it it's like uh like it's just like get to the point like you know it's just like she gets she like you know she goes to the apartment and the apartment is burned down Then she looks at this picture photograph that was taken at some point and then she's upset about that 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 photographs is destroyed why who cares he she's but it's her
0: Michael Rossi Rossi.
1: (laughs) yeah who the hell is Michael Rossi I don't
2: know Tyler (laughs) did you bring some receipts we talked about it last episode I think that's the that's the the guy who went to Stephen Lang and told Stephen Lang say no Project Armageddon has to <gasps> oh,
1: stop. Oh, it's that guy?
2: Yeah, and then yeah.
1: still, be still, my heart. Okay, and
2: then in the backup story <laughs> where you see. Uh, Emma
1: Emma is taking you know, care of him okay. yeah
2: he's injured so that's one he, uh, he yeah, appears right. randomly throughout Claremont's run yeah it just
1: then. it just sounded like you know she had a one night stand with him and he's like you know super upset about the picture getting burned I was like okay <laughs> and looks- it, the the thing is though there is a lot of I felt like it felt compared to other um, like mm-hmm. other Claremont things we have read some or yeah. read so far uh, because he had like Different characters that he's bouncing off, and then, but this is like just only one character, and yeah. I yeah, think she really is
0: no one uh, other than at the magazine. And it's not, I actually like the magazine stuff the best because when she's a hero, there's just nothing happening, yeah,
1: right? So there's nothing happening, and I don't know what, um, like you know, kind of directive that these uh, Miss Marvel writers were under because it was like. Very dumb. I mean, it's just like nothing, no non-issue that she's fighting. And then Mm -hmm. I was not quite sure. It's like, oh, just... Like, I don't know. I don't know how to quite explain it because it felt like, oh, she's just fighting this because she's a woman. At one point, she had women written on her shirt. Then I later realized that's the that's the newspaper that she's an editor for. So it's like a that. Uh, but I don't know. The whole thing. And then she also, also went shopping for all places. I'm like, wow. Way too This like,
0: shopping I, mall might be where Modoc's yeah, is. Exactly. Just,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: It's just funny to me because Claremont like is writing women so well in both of these other two, t- two titles for, you know, and then here he has a woman who luckily over time has been made into one of the most ar- iconic Marvel heroes. And like, it's just, there's like no magic whatsoever to it. No. Death Deathbird looks pretty visually cool. She's pretty fierce. Mm-hmm. Like I actually buy her as like a pretty, cool villain but then she's like working for Modoc, who even at the time is made out to be the most like ridiculous he's got no plan he's actually not very much of a threat he's just like persistently annoying he's that guy he's chad he's giant chad in a chair
1: Right, so Modok M- M- has been completely ru- ruined in Airquote. He's actually a pretty funny character from like Secret Avengers, and then also Gwenpool. Like, I can't <laughs> take him seriously no. as a villain. <laughs> so the thing is, it's like, oh, AIM, and then like, AIM's gonna be under. Like, I'm like, why are they under a mall? I mean, in <laughs> any other thing, it would be under some, like you know, abandoned warehouse or some factory or something. Just because she's a girl, that it's a it's a mall, and
0: she knows like, she's I like, like, I have to be careful at this mall. To spot me. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I'm like, "Uh, oh, I took <laughs> I took issues with that." And then the thing is like she's like, "Oh, Modok knows my face, but I still can turn into Miss Marvel here." I'm like,
0: "Girl, please." <laughs> <laughs> What's going it also on? it also kind of felt like how Claremont's churning out these single issue stories with this huge cast of X Men, like that Magneto fight, where like you know, and even though we have complaints that the fights feel the same because every character only has a couple panels, he's like blowing through plot. But here, he just like languorously stretches out across two issues to resolve this Deathbird thing. And it's just, yeah. So look, I I do love classic Miss Marvel for many reasons. I like it because it establishes her as a character. I like it because it's unique relatively for Marvel in the way that she's a leading character alongside She-Hulk and Spider-Woman, which are all coming out at the same time. But if you want to dig into a Miss Marvel issue that's going to really feel like a a meaty read, I just don't know that issues nine or ten are are those. The art is actually quite nice. I do like all the stuff with her as the editor of the magazine. I love that we're trying to get, like, a little bit of, of the Spider-Man vibe of, like, the who she is by day. And I, I did, like, there's this dig, dig in there where she gets this intern. And the intern's like, yeah, I read your book. It was boring. And, and so I guess I'm going to, like, intern your, your stupid feminist magazine now. And Carol's like, thanks. That was, that's great. <laughs> but Because I think it actually portrays the idea that people did, like, turn their noses up at magazines at the time. This is clearly mm-hmm. being modeled off of, I think, Ms. Magazine of the time, that some women, like, wanted no part of it. And I think that those moments are actually the moments about this that are charming. And like the Modoc Deathbird moments to me are just like, okay, great. Yeah. And
1: also like the character has come so far from that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any more sense and to be.
2: Surprisingly, done. Claremont was the one who brought her quite far. Later yeah, on. Yeah,
1: but then the thing is like it's from from there it went even further. I like know. you know, like it just like it's equivalent of talking to 16 um, year old Tyler versus now Tyler, like, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure five-year-old Tyler <laughs> did a lot of work to get to 16 year old Tyler, but. The now Tyler is so much better version. I'm thinking from the 16 year old. Mm. So it's like, why am I reading really 16 year old Tyler's life? I didn't want to talk about current Tyler's life. <laughs> like you know, that's what that's what it felt like. Like it just like so much has changed. And I don't think like even in the in her current run, like you know, the fact that she was an editor is actually mm-hmm. often forgotten or dropped. Like it's completely like she was in the army and then like you know, yeah. air force and then boom there like you know so it just i only know that she was even an editor because of a miss marvel miss marvel generation issue that that's where i know Mm. it from so you know
0: well it's also like a radical shift for the character that they were trying to figure out like what she would be able to do in her own book because she had already been introduced and starred in many issues of Captain Marvel, back when he was um, Marvel, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, and she she was an army officer, and she was like she did like security. So it, it's kind of weird to be like, we're launching around this in her own book. We've got this cool character, this woman who's an army officer. I know. Let's have her edit a magazine. Like it's like why, why, why would you do that? I'm sure we could get into it. So look, um, I again, I still love the series, but I think just in the scope of recommending X Men related reads to you, we cannot in good conscience tell you to go buy this epic collection just for Deathbird but here she is she's Deathbird she's here and she's uh and she's got feathers due to her (laughs) her atavistic that's a great word um you know throwback to the earlier time of the Shi'ar even if no Shi'ar stuff is mentioned here so that's our three for today any closing remarks on Claremont's uh two side projects here while he's pushing the X-Men story forward
2: um not really (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well look me being the completest that i am like i want to i kind of want to read all of iron fist now because mm-hmm. i i didn't no, realize I want to it read was iron Fist too and i will read all of Ms. marvel even if i have to drag somebody kicking and screaming <laughs> with me to do it uh so these these maybe could wind up fuller reads later on not just mm-hmm. in their excerpted x-men comic, especially as tyler points out Carol Danvers kind of becomes an X Men character for quite some time.
2: Freya, you will be delighted uh, because yeah. we get a
0: lot of Carol Danvers content in the X Men run as it goes on. Yeah, yeah which is why also, I love her.
2: And also when she was part of, you know, Rogue. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. <sighs> well,
0: that was our issue for today or our issues in our episode for today. We're going to get back to the main line of Uncanny X-Men in the next episode. We're going to read Uncanny X-Men 107 and 108, which will also be paired with classic X-Men 14 and 15, although those stories could have been read much earlier, but they're paired with those issues and they help inform them. So we're going to read the backups and the revisions now. Also, of note... Iron Fist 15 is pretty much Uncanny X-Men 108.5. So yeah. we are going to just briefly skim Iron Fist 15 and pull out a couple of things for you. You can just It's not critical. It's just kind of like a fun, casual moment. So if you're really trying to keep up with the full X-Men reading experience, you should also read Iron Fist 15 with that next group of issues. And the reason we're doing this to begin with is because Tyler and I have read this on our own. Freya could sit down and read this on our own. But when it comes to X-Men, what is the case, Freya?
1: X-Men is better when it's read together.
0: That's right. So we want to thank you so much for reading with us. And we hope that you're going to continue to subscribe, continue to comment and tell us what you love or didn't love about these issues and these episodes. And we will see you next time for more Epic X-Men reread on Crushing Comics. So everybody, please be well. And thank you so much. Bye.